You are now listening to the Millennial Travel Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, podcast and listeners? Welcome to another episode of the Millennial Travel Podcast. You may be listening to this on the Live Different Podcast, my podcast that I've been running for over five years, digging into world experts on business, travel, health, performance. It has just been my sandbox to call the smartest people who I never would have been able to get in contact with otherwise, but I get to sit down with them for an hour and pick their brains on all sorts of amazing topics. And this series, the Millennial Travel Podcast, is part of a new podcast that I am running in conjunction with the launch of my book, The Millennial Travel Guidebook. Escape more, spend less, and make travel a priority in your life. A number one bestseller on Amazon and a whole bunch of different categories. We're really proud of that. Uh, But first, I wanted to get before the episode, I wanted to give you a quick little update with what's going on with under 30 experiences. Yes, our USA trips are running. So we are thrilled about that. We have had Portland, Maine uh, trips up there at Acadia National Park, Asheville, North Carolina and the Great Smoky Mountains have run those successful with no closures or stoppages of uh, play, let's say, due to COVID-19. So we've been really happy uh, that those areas of the country are operating fairly normal, of course, with all the safety precautions that we can possibly take. And now uh, our San Francisco to Yosemite trips are getting off the ground. Yes, Yosemite is uh, open for business, for appropriate social distancing in the wilderness. So you can check out those trips at under30experiences.com. Then we got some trips on our website, uh, including Joshua Tree, Zion and Bryce Canyon, and Lake Tahoe. So we're really excited about that. And we're going to be rolling out new trips pretty soon here, announcing 2021 trips around the United States. I just got back from amazing, well, I'm not back. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm standing in a, in a hotel bathroom uh, at the moment. Um, yeah, too much information, I guess. But uh, recording this before I get back on the road, but I've been, wow, all through Colorado and uh Utah and Moab and um, all through the Rockies up to Wyoming and Yellowstone, Grand Teton, Montana. Oh my God, Uh, I am fairly tired doing all of this uh, with a now five-month-old, but uh, it has been well worth it. Anyway, without further ado, I want to bring you this next episode of the Millennial Travel Podcast. Hey guys, one other thing that I forgot to mention is that this episode was recorded pre COVID 19 in the research, all the interviews for my book. So if things seem a little out of place, uh, that is why, but still really good content, very relevant, and of course, things will get back to normal. It's just a matter of time. 
Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today we are here with Craig and Linda Martin. They are a Kiwi couple behind the brands, Indie Travel Podcast. They have a media business, Indie Travel Media, and a web development hosting company, Performance Foundry. They have been podcasting for 10 years and have over 300 podcasts produce. They are really interesting, uh, interesting travelers. And they come from, well, geez, now I've, I've worked myself into a trap. Uh, I don't know if you can refer to New Zealand as down under, but uh, at least let's, let's, <laughs> let's ask you that as the very first question. Welcome, guys. And please correct me because I have not been to either New Zealand or Australia. Yeah, well, I think you're okay today because we're currently in Melbourne, Australia. But normally, right. uh, we'd be sending sending some people over to the house. But. <laughs> okay, <laughs> because it is from me geographically. I am in Austin, Texas today, and it is down under there, but not <laughs> in the land of down under, as I've heard Australia yeah, referred to as. <laughs> yeah geographically that way anyhow i'd love to just uh chat with you of course about your your journey as travel bloggers podcasters and as entrepreneurs how you live this incredible lifestyle being able to go where you want uh of course when you, when you want but as we were talking earlier when you own a business that too can sometimes uh, get in the way with the fun occasionally, just to be totally straightforward with everybody. But you guys look like you're having fun today. We're definitely having fun, yeah. At the moment, we're in Melbourne. We're visiting my sister, so I just spent breakfast. Uh, actually, we were looking over some of our old travels with my young nephew, who's five, and I just managed to make a photo book of our first four years of travel, and he was uh, turning the page going, where's that? And who's that? And sorry, what was that? Is that a cog train? <laughs> Perfect. I'm trying to remember back to 2016 when we started traveling. Going, I, I, I don't know. 2006. It, oh, 2006. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. I'm going, I, I don't know where that is. I don't know who that is. <laughs> I really don't know if that's a cog train. <laughs> Never known about the cog train. And, and can you say? Uh, are you saying conch train? C O N C H. No, cog. C-O-G, cog train. <laughs> okay, because my uh, grandparents have lived my entire life in Key West, Florida. And I don't know if you've ever been, but they refer to it as the conch republic, like a conch shell. Uh -huh. uh, this, this sea creature, or, and they eat conch fritters, and they have a tourist train called the... the Conk train, yeah, and it's it's really it's not even a train; it's on wheels. Have you been to Key West by any chance? No, no, I've had Key West pie, but um, oh, Key Lime yes, pie. Yes, Key Lime yeah. pie. Yeah, but I haven't I haven't been. Can you tell me what a cog train is? No, I have to I have to get the four year old in to answer that one. I I think it's like a a train that gets pulled up a hill on cogs. Okay, yes, that that makes. Plenty of sense. Um, okay, can you bring me back to 2006 and why you packed up and went? Where, where did you go? So we decided to start traveling because in New Zealand, it's really normal to finish high school or finish university and travel for anywhere between kind of three months and two years. And uh, we had a little bit of student loan, not that much, but we decided to work hard, pay that off and save up a buffer and then start traveling. So we were a little bit older. 
or 23 and 24. And um, so we just worked really hard and we thought, where do we want to go? We want to go somewhere for a while, uh, maybe six months and work. And we we're going through the options. We thought, well, we don't really want to go somewhere where the language is different um, for our first long-term experience because we're already going to have a big cultural difference. So we thought we'll start in an English-speaking country, but everyone goes to Australia, everyone goes to the States or Canada or, or the UK. So we're looking around going, where can we go, where can we go? And I came across Malta. Now, we, we, we must have heard of Malta, but we knew absolutely nothing about it. But we decided to go there. Yeah, that was one of my first questions after agreeing to go there was, where is it? And um, <laughs> Mine too, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a little island pretty much bang in the middle of the Mediterranean. And uh, it's got a lot of English heritage, a lot of Italian heritage, and a lot of its own heritage. Uh, in fact, the oldest freestanding stone buildings in the world are there, predating the pyramids and all that kind of stuff. So it's got a really long history and, uh, yeah, a really popular holiday spot for people in Europe to, to pop over there and enjoy the beaches and uh, catch up with some of the history and a lot of diving. Yeah. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, so that's where we ended up first. And luckily, uh, I was working for a big multinational language school at the time, and they had a language school there. I think that's so, how we discovered it in the first place. Oh, I, was looking, I was looking at the big map on the wall of the language school because I was teaching there off and on as well. And I saw Malta. I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. Let's, let's have a look and see what it is. And, yeah, so Craig managed to get a job. Um, I couldn't work there to begin with because they didn't have enough free spaces for staff. So I got a terrible job working in a hotel. It was awful. Uh, and then I managed to get a job over the summer at the language school. Yeah, so we basically spent about six months in Malta and then uh, ran away. Uh, we're still doing temporary English teaching work, and so we're getting short-term contracts for a couple of weeks for a school camp, or we ended up falling into a job in the UK where they would send teachers to high schools around Europe. So it's kind of like a reverse school camp. Instead of all of the kids going up to uh, the UK for a language exchange, what would happen was the UK would send teachers out to the school for a week. Uh, and okay. so we got all of the, the travel benefits of doing that. And it was uh, in the middle of those two jobs between teaching in Malta and starting this itinerant kind of uh, travel teaching job that we started Indie Travel Podcast. Cause That's we were so Yeah, go ahead mistakes right we were uh, not validating train tickets we were booking places that were so cheap they were unlivable or going in the other direction and going well that sounds reliable we'll book there and they're going why did we pay for that uh, and just making all of the silly mistakes that you you know you start doing when you start traveling and we wanted to share our incompetence with people and so we thought, hey, we'll do, a, we'll do a travel blog and we don't want to be like Lonely Planet. We don't want to talk about the where, we want to talk about the how. And so that was kind of the genesis. And a friend who we were staying with said, oh, you don't want to do a blog. There's like, there's dozens of travel blogs now. That's that's done, right? <laughs> there's there's way too many. Uh, what you want to do is do a podcast. And I, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do a podcast. Paul, what's a podcast? 
And uh, so after uh, agreeing to do it once again, I found out what it was. <laughs> and uh, that started, uh, you know, a, a hobby with a business plan that within about 18 months became my full time job. Wow, eight, 18 months. Okay. And especially at that time, yeah, it was. Yeah. Sure, it, it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like I the Apple Podcast app is on every single phone now, pretty much all over the place. So of course this has helped you now. Oh, uh, we we predated the iPhone. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, uh, sure. Smartphones, I think you had a. I had like a PDA. A PDA. That's what they were back then. And I like, want a phone. You could I, occasionally look, attach it to Wi-Fi. I think during our URL trip, or maybe the next time. I managed to win a phone. It wasn't a smartphone. It was like one of those um, Nokia uh, clamshell type ones. And uh, I won it playing Connect 4, which was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you got to love it. I've kind of given up now after after reaching my peak, winning winning something quite good. Like, yeah, I don't play anymore. <laughs> I, would, I would be very happy if I won a Nokia flip phone uh, out somewhere this weekend. That would be that would be pretty cool. Those yeah. are... Those are an artifact by by now. <laughs> I probably still got it somewhere back home. Yeah. So okay. So I want to, I want to know how did you do it in just eighteen months? I mean, was there a big focus on growing the blog, growing the readership, finding sponsors? Uh, maybe that wasn't your model at all. Tell us a little more. Well, there there was no model, right? Like no one had done this before. There were four people doing travel podcasts. Uh, one of them was Rick Steves, uh, so like there, there was there was no one doing this. There was a couple of hobbyists, a couple of brands, and and that was it. So uh, we had to make it up. We had to explain to people what the product actually was and what the benefits were, and we had to keep on knocking on doors and and trying to sell like virtually. We had to keep on emailing people, reaching out on uh you know a very early social media back then and maybe because it was earlier it was easier to speak to the right people but we just had to keep pushing and trying to go hey this is a good thing you should give us some money and we'll you know we'll put in an ad for you hey hey this is a good you should give us some money um and so no one knew what they were doing it was pre-financial crisis and there was a, a bit of money going around for marketing and people were experimenting with new media stuff. So we were lucky enough to have no competition and have some money in marketing. We were unlucky enough that nobody knew what, not only who we were, like that's something that every new brand has to deal with. Nobody knew what the heck we were doing. I'm, I'm sure some people signed some contracts still not understanding what they were getting, right? Um, but the... Yeah, it was just a bit of determination after we got a bit of an audience together and just trying to go, you know, if if we can get paid for this, we can just keep on traveling forever. And that seems worthwhile. So, yeah, so we so made it kind of it. half and half. Craig was working half time uh, on this and also half time on teaching. And then we won the Lonely Planet Best Podcast Award. So it was the one year they actually did awards and we won, which helped when we were trying to market podcast sponsorship because you know everyone understands winner right and lonely planet is a very big brand so that was the moment where we think craig's parents finally understood what we were doing like 
Lonely Planet thinks we're good. They're like, okay, Lonely Planet thinks you're good. <laughs> <laughs> Stop getting so much of the don't waste your time conversations. So that was helpful. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Congratulations on that. And then where we can, of course, go back to the travels, but where did web development come in? Right. So this was about four and a half years ago. In, in April, I think it's going to be our five-year uh, anniversary of Performance Foundry. Uh, so very excited about that coming up. Um, so yeah, so around five years ago, then uh, our site was uh, was hacked and attacked, and IndieTravelPodcast.com went down. It was unavailable. Uh, threw extra money into to hosting to try and keep it up, uh, and all sorts of things. And we just couldn't keep the site up. It would just, you know, get get thrashed. Every time we got it back up, there'd be a new mm. wave of traffic come in. And uh, it's called a DDoS attack. Uh, basically, it's a denial of service. There's so much traffic, the, uh, the resources can't keep up with it. So we didn't know why that was, and we still don't know. Uh, one person we talked to thinks someone was just playing with some technology, and we matched the profile that they were trying to match. But mm. who knows? Anyway, I spent a whole lot of time trying to figure out how websites work, how hosting works, how networks work, and learned a, a whole lot about website performance, basically. So when we did get the site back up, uh, maybe about six weeks later, uh, I had learned more than any sane person needs to know about our core technologies that we still work with now which are uh, WordPress and cloud hosting and microservices and things like that. Uh, so uh, I naturally became this point of contact for everyone in the travel blogging community going, hey, Craig, can you fix my website? Hey, Craig, my website's slow. Hey, Craig, I think I got hacked. Hey, you know, this is working, this isn't working. And so... Uh, yeah, I took all of that, and I realized at some point I was getting more emails from my travel blogging competitors or uh, co-competitors. Co I don't know what <laughs> don't know what you call them, people that that wanted my market share. Uh, I was getting more emails from these people uh, asking for help with their website than we were getting emails from travelers asking for travel advice. So you know the brain wow. starts ticking over, and. Uh, yeah, so I started doing some consulting, and uh, after I started doing that, realized that a lot of people's fundamental problems were with their hosting stack. So I went from like performance consulting into developing a, a hosting product that actually helps people. So yeah, that that was kind of the genesis of it, and now we've just hired staff member fifteen or sixteen yesterday. And so, yeah, and four years we've kind of gone from me part-time consulting to having a worldwide staff. Excellent, excellent. And, and Linda, I wanted to go back to something that you said. You, you said that you were a little older. I think you said twenty-three or twenty-four years old. So tell me what you meant by that. Well, in New Zealand, when we go on our OE, which is our kind of overseas experience. The idea is that you've you've finished high school and you want a break before you start university, or maybe you take a year off during university, or maybe you finish university and you go. So in our case, we were doing the OE, but we were doing it more as adults. And I think that gave us a lot of freedom because we didn't have the feeling that we had to 
get back and start our lives, which is what the OE was for. You know, it's, it's a break sure. between, you know, your childhood and or your, your education and starting your life as an adult. But in our case, we went into it thinking, well, this is our life. This is what we want to do. We've got proper jobs as English teachers. Uh, we started this business with perform- uh, with um, Indie Travel Podcast, and we could just keep going. And when we got back to New Zealand in 2009, so we thought, we'll travel for two to five years. So we traveled for three years. We got back, and we're like, okay, let's let's see about this growing up and becoming adults thing. And we decided, no, we're not very good at that. So um, <laughs> we started traveling again. <laughs> Yeah, I think within a week of flying into New Zealand, we're like, no, we had one-way tickets, bought back out again. <laughs> That's that. That is very good. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Uh, you could address the situation. Do I want to become adults? Do we not want to become adults? And you made the right decision, in my opinion. In in my opinion. So that's that's awesome. Um, and, and I'm I'm curious as a couple, how you decide where should we go. Even on some of your podcasts, I've heard, oh, uh, I'm going here. Linda's coming here and someone's sister is going there and we're going to split up for a little while and then reconvene. So I'm curious how you two manage uh, the logistics together. Yeah, I think most of the time we stay together. It's only in the last couple of years we've started to kind of go off and do different things. As a general rule, if one person wants to do something, they'll say, hey, I really want to do something. And both of us are pretty easygoing. So generally it's, all right, yeah, let's do that. Or more, okay, when can we do that? Because quite often the place that we want to go is best in one season. Or maybe uh, if we're going to Europe and the place is in Europe, then it makes sense to go while we're in Europe. Uh, Because we're always trying to maximize our trips. We don't want to go, okay, here we are in Australia, let's go to Spain, and then let's go to Fiji, and then let's go back to France, because that would be a lot of extra travel. Uh, It makes sense to plan your trips geographically so that you get the best out of it. Yeah, so what we tend to do is we plan a a continent due to weather. So when it starts getting cold in Europe, like we know that we want to be leaving Europe around October, but there's a big (laughs) travel trade show in London each year, which happens the first week of November. And so we we hold on and we go to the shops and we buy gloves and scarves and woolen hats and, you know, we stand there shivering. And then we go to this trade show at the start of November and by the end of the week we fly uh, down here, for example, to Australia, to New Zealand, and then we'll be down here for summer. And then around April it starts getting a bit too cold in New Zealand and we've, you know, uh, the, the days start getting shorter and it starts getting darker and we start looking up at the, the tropics or the northern hemisphere and start going, yep, we're, you know, where are we going? And yeah, we just try and avoid winter. Now, I've got friends that uh, have been like snowboard instructors and so we never coincide. <laughs> we're like always up and down at the wrong time. Sure. Well, that's great. That's great. Do you have any do you have any tips for people out there who might be thinking, "Wow, I would really like to find someone like Craig or Linda who I could travel with." Uh, do you have any uh, Let's start with attracting a travel partner. What would you say to look for? I don't know. We haven't been in the game for so long because we met uh, in high <laughs> school, going to different high schools, but we met at a, a mutual friend's birthday party. 
and uh, things just progressed from there. I think we, we met one year, we started dating the next year, we got engaged the next year, we got married the next year, and then we failed to have kids the next year. So, you know. <laughs> Maybe the next year we started planning to travel, and the year after that we started traveling, something like <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> that was our baby. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. We've been off the market for so long. I don't know uh, if we could give any tips there. I well, think just start yeah, traveling. I'm I'm sure Linda's got something for us. <laughs> I would say so. I think I think if you just start traveling, it's so easy to meet people if you're open. Like if you're staying in hostels, or one thing we really love to do is walk the Camino de Santiago in Spain. And we've met heaps of people, not romantically, obviously, but we've met heaps of people and become really good friends. And I think friendship and shared experience is a good basis for a relationship. So on the Camino, you're getting up in the morning, you're walking, you arrive at your the place where you're staying, you, you have a shower, you wash your clothes, you have a beer, and then you sit around and you talk to people. And so it's a really good chance to get to know people. You're all complaining about your blisters. Uh, you're all talking about, oh, tomorrow are we going to go to this town or the next town? Um, in one place, you've got a choice of routes. You might say, oh, are we going to go the Hospitalera's route? Are you going to go the other route? And you've got these conversations. And then quite often you end up walking with people, maybe for part of the day or the whole day. So I'd say that's a really good way to meet people. Go go and travel, and then you'll meet people who are travelers. That's great. Could, actually, could you tell us a little bit more about uh, El Camino de Santiago? I have not oh, yeah. personally uh, hiked it, and I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would be curious as to your experience. I love the Camino. I could talk about that for, I mean, days, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the Camino de Santiago is a pilgrimage path um, in northern Spain, actually in the Middle Ages, people would leave their houses all over Europe and further afield, and they would walk to Santiago de Compostela, which is in the northwest of Spain. So if you imagine if Spain is like a square and you've got the little kind of rectangle that's that's Portugal, it's just above there. So it's in the middle of that region, which is called Galicia. The most popular route is the Camino Frances, which starts on the border with France uh, in the Pyrenees, and it continues along basically parallel with the coast, about 100 kilometers inland. And I think it's about 900 kilometers, more or less. I'm not sure what that is in miles, maybe around 600 miles. Sure. And yeah, something like that. And uh, yeah, it takes. It took us five weeks. We started in Pamplona, which is about 50 kilometers from the border, because we didn't think we had time to do the whole route. And also, we didn't want to start a five-week walk with a mountain. So we thought it would make more sense to start in Pamplona. And it was quite easy to get to as well. So that's the most popular route. Um, lots and lots of people do it. And the benefit of doing that route is that because so many people do it, there's really good infrastructure. So you go from town to town. You don't have to carry a lot of stuff. It's not like walking the Pacific Crest Trail or something like that. You just carry pretty much a day bag or maybe slightly larger than a day bag. You need a sleeping bag but um, and clothes and things like that. But you don't need to carry all your food. You don't need a tent. You don't need any of that. And you stay in pilgrim albergues or pilgrim hostels that are just for people walking the Camino. You need a pilgrim passport, which is just a piece of cardboard that's uh, printed nicely. And when you arrive in the albergue, you get a stamp. You pay the, the cost, which is between 5 and 15 euros, which is not very much. And, um, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. So the benefit of the Camino Francaise is there's lots of little towns. So you could walk five kilometers in a day you could walk 40 kilometers in a day you could walk any kind of variation of that so we did that one in 2008 then in 2012 
we wanted to celebrate our 10th wedding anniversary. And because we travel so much, we didn't just want to go out for dinner because going out for dinner is pretty normal. And we didn't just want to go on an overseas holiday because that's also quite normal. So we thought, <laughs> why don't we walk a Camino de Santiago? And we had a look at the options. So, of course, because people were leaving their houses, it wasn't just one route. It was from wherever you left your house. So people would come together and walk together. So we decided to start in Seville in the south of Spain and walk a route called the Via de la Plata, which was six weeks and a thousand kilometers straight north. And we thought this will be brilliant because it'll be hot in Seville in like March, at the beginning of the year. And then as we walk north, it will get warmer and warmer. We were wrong about that uh, because the the weather patterns in Spain are just different wherever you go. So we, we were in snow, we were in hail, we were in pounding rain. We had beautiful, hot, sunny days. We had everything. Yeah. Now we had, yeah, days where it was up around 40 degrees Celsius, yeah. which is up over 100 uh, Fahrenheit. Yeah, yeah so it like, is. Yeah. yeah. So it, it was it was really good, but it was more difficult because not so many people do it and there aren't so many towns along the way. So it's more difficult to plan your route. Some days we had to do 40 kilometers, like four or five Ooh. days we could do that. And it was it's difficult. It's quite a long way. So, um, but yeah, there are other routes as well. We did one from the north of Spain from, um, we were living in La Coruña. And I really loved the idea of just being able to walk out of my house and go to Santiago because that's what the pilgrims did in the Middle Ages. We're from New Zealand. We can't just walk out of our house and walk to Spain. <laughs> New Zealand's <laughs> an island. <laughs> it's not going to work. But yes, we were staying in, in La Coruña and we could just walk straight down. It was only 70 kilometers, so three days. And that worked really well. And then uh, three years ago, we did the Camino Primitivo, which goes from Oviedo. That was really nice. It was about two weeks. And we met some really cool people on that one. And then this year, uh, I really wanted to do one more Camino. We were talking about doing one to celebrate 10 years since our first Camino. And everyone, all of our friends were like, yeah, I'll come. Yeah, I'll come. Yeah, I'll come. No one came. And I said, well, I'm going anyway. And Craig couldn't really take a day, uh, a week off work. So I said, I'll just do one week. So uh, we were meeting some friends in San Sebastian and Bilbao. So I went to San Sebastian and I walked to Bilbao and it was great. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Well, that's a, uh, that's a heck of a way to spend your version. (laughs) Sure. No, I mean, that sounds, that sounds amazing. I've been, uh, yeah, I've always been interested in in taking a trip out there. I've known several people who have really enjoyed it, but I, I find it so interesting how there's not just one start and one finish. It's not just a trail that goes from A to A to B, you know, point A to point B. It's, people leave their house and and they're taking their own trail uh to uh uh, to santiago i'm curious i've heard uh, of people crawling for certain sections Uh, now i know there's uh there's some religious significance behind some people's pilgrimages uh as of course tradition was so i'm curious I, i even heard somebody say yeah that they crawl the last uh, several meters. Have you ever encountered this? Never, no, not me. Yeah, but we have seen in uh, um, yeah. So a bit of historical context, I think, would would help make sense of of crawling um, penitentially towards the the cathedral. Uh, so the the two greatest kind of holy sites were uh, Rome, for obvious reasons, and also Constantinople, which is now Istanbul, uh, and the. Uh, and and uh, yeah, and Jerusalem. 
for uh, yeah, also for obvious reasons. So they were like the three big places that came out of the uh, the Roman Empire collapsing, and you know the the Catholic Church uh, having their takeover. And so uh, so that was all good, and that was kind of medieval Europe, and you know that was the shape of it. And then when the Moors started coming up from Africa and they took the south of Spain and then they invaded up to the middle of Spain and then they came up towards the north of Spain, um, medieval Europe kind of looked around and went, well, we've got, you know, kind of uh, modern Turkey is beginning to be encroached upon and, you know, we've got people invading up into to Hungary and things like that. And then on the other side, we've got the Moors coming up from Africa. And so they needed a, a staging point to go, hey, no, we want to push this back. And so uh, Santiago, which was nothing, there was there was nothing there. There was no city. Um, an old man walking by night saw a shower of stars falling to the ground. And he went there and he found the uh, the body of St. James, one of Jesus's apostles. And, uh, you know, it's pretty amazing. Thousand odd years after he lived that you just find his body there in Spain, wow. which wasn't really well known for being part of the Middle East at that point. And uh, so it became a, a rallying point. It was the biggest propaganda job, I think, of, uh, you know, the whole section of history. And so that got funding from all of the royalty of Europe to go and then wage war and, and push the, the Moors back down uh, out of Spain and to kind of reconquer Spain. And that was the impetus. And so that's what made Santiago so important. And so it became this this holy site that existed in Western Europe that was really closely tied in to Catholicism, and much uh, easier to get to than much, Jerusalem, for example. Yeah, much much easier. Um, but because of that, pilgrim uh, pilgrimages spread spread up and out from Jerusalem to Constantinople to Rome, and to Santiago, and. Um, so there are still paths that you can walk linking these four cities, uh, which is pretty amazing. So when you talk about being able to start anywhere, it, it really went all the way from modern Turkey, all yeah. the way across Europe. And people start from Norway, for example, yeah, you know, right up insane. in Scandinavia, right up all the way up there, coming all the way down through Europe. Some people do it all at once, but a lot of people do like a couple of weeks every summer and they just start again where they finished the previous year. Yeah, so that's the kind of the religious significance. And during the Middle Ages, you could, it was responsible for more movement of people than any war, any famine, any health event. More people moved because they were going to Santiago than for any other reason in Europe. And that's just mind blowing, right? That's yeah. huge. Um, and so with that, you get the religious penitence. And this is where you get people that are, are crawling or are whipping themselves or are carrying heavy loads or are walking bare feet. They're feeding into that medieval spirituality of, uh, you know, life is, life is pain and, of, sure. you know, human suffering to appease sin and things like that. And while it's not that common, you do see it, especially if you're in certain towns at Easter time. Mm. So the Easter processions are a big thing. And you do get the uh, the penitents 
uh, which will be wearing the the big um, hoods that look like KKK hoods, uh, and are often confused, you know, for them. Uh, wow. So you you get people walking with their their face covered with a big hood on, and they'll be walking bare feet, or they'll be on their knees, and uh, some of them have chains or uh, kind of spiked metal. Uh, cages that they wear on parts of their body to cause irritation and pain mm-hmm. and uh, yeah they'll walk in the the easter parades yeah and so and easter yeah. is a really good time to walk the camino de santiago for this reason so you can see the parades i mean not everyone in the parades are penitent some of them i mean it's a community event whole groups of people get together uh, one of the big things is they take the big statues out of the churches and they're enormous and they're heavy they're made of marble so they need to be carried on these big kind of stretches, carried by 20 men, and they practice for oh. months and months before. And they'll take them uh, on their shoulders and, and do this big walk around the city. And, uh, yeah, we found it amazing on our first Camino. We walked uh, over Easter. So we're going from town to town. So we got to see during Holy Week, it, it runs from uh, Monday to Sunday, and there's something going on almost every day. So because we're going... To different towns we got to see different towns representation of holy week and different processions and different things going on and we got to try their special easter foods it was really really awesome but yeah i wouldn't oh, say I, mean, anything, I didn't really see so much of that in the walkers it was more in local people mm. doing it but yes people people do uh treat the community of santiago as a yeah as a real pilgrimage you know a spiritual one for us it was more of a well, a secular walk. We, we walked because we like to walk. But I think everyone finds some kind of connection with the world or with their friends or with God, whatever, when you're doing it, just because of the sure. nature of the walk. That's great. Yeah, I know that personally I've walked uh, the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu and mm-hmm. everyone talks about the Inca Trail, but in the same way, the Incans had Incans had many, many trails, many exactly. networks of trails, and you're just hiking the one most popular yeah. tourist part, basically. Absolutely. But yeah. that was a religious uh, pilgrimage for them, and many people who hike feel a real connection with Pachamama, the Mother Earth mm-hmm. that the Quechua people still to this day worship and there are for people listening there are many different uh, types of treks or types of uh, spiritual walks that they can do Uh, one I've also done which I guess is not really well I didn't walk there but uh, Glendalough in Ireland Mm -hmm. Uh, there is a there was a Saint Kevin and there's a still to this day a pilgrimage that people can go on and uh, it's it's just kind of a park in the Wicklow Mountains but you can go there and they have a a little retreat center if you'd like to spend a couple days in the wilderness in silence and uh, yeah it's a really interesting place but they say okay if you're Irish right you're also on an island and can't exactly walk to Rome (laughs) or Istanbul but uh you could take, I forget what it was, maybe eight trips to Glendalough was supposed uh-huh. to equal a trip to Rome. Okay. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. That is interesting, yeah. Yeah, That's... one of my pet peeves about the Camino is that people talk about 
doing the whole Camino. I'm like, there's no such thing as the whole Camino. The whole Camino is whatever you do. Because like, we, we, we started in Pamplona. They're like, oh, you didn't start at the start. I'm like, there is no start. You know, everyone <laughs> is walking their own Camino. The Camino starts where you started. Sure, sure. Um, changing gears a, a little bit, I'm curious if you have any tips for people who want to go out and start their own business, start life on, on the road. Uh, they might not have it quite figured out, but they know that they need to do it. They have the calling. Maybe they have a little money saved up. They know they need to get out of their current position, but it can be tricky to take that leap. What would you tell those people? That's a tricky one, yeah. Do you want the, the aspirational, motivational, or the practical, get stuff done? <laughs> well, you could, you could, uh, one of you could take take each, right? Because you need to pump them up and then send them out with actionable yeah. tips. That's what we try to do on the podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's, um, if you're not used to traveling, traveling can be quite uh, quite hard. Not Not after the first week, not after the second week. Not after the first month, but sometime between like the third month and the ninth month, everyone goes through a slump. Everyone goes through a you know a point. Why am I? Why am I doing this? This isn't all it cracked up to be. And you have to find new uh, find new meaning in traveling, and you have to discover something about your motivations and the reality of the world, and and work through that. It's really hard to start a business when you're going through that, like homesickness, bout of depression, however it, it manifests. Um, trying to make money from an unknown source at that point is really tough. So I'd say, and if you're starting a business, the same thing happens, right? You're motivated, you're pumped, you've got a great idea, you've talked to some people about it, uh, you've, you know, you, you kick it off and you start it. And within a few months, all of a sudden, you're down in the weeds, like trying to answer an email from someone who's unhappy. And you're kind of like, why? Dude, this isn't this isn't the dream, right? Like, sure. this isn't how it was meant to be. And so that's just reality, right? Like, life is harder than we'd like it to be sometimes. So my biggest bit of advice would be to try to make sure those two bits don't coincide. Yeah. <laughs> like if you go, I'm leaving, I'm out of here, I've got money in the bank, I'm going to travel the world and I'm going to start a business and I'm going to fund my travels that way. Um, that's one of the hardest ways to do it. And so um, I don't think the way we did it was the only way, but we went, hey, we're going to travel and see the world and we're going to fund it by taking a wage from other people, right? We're going we're gonna to work, yeah. We're going to we're going to be somewhere for being there. We're going to experience, we're going to travel on the weekends, we're going to see stuff. But, you know, we need money. There's there's no magic money pot. Exactly. And um, we actually trained to be English teachers with this in mind. Yeah. So we were we were at university, we got married while we were still at university, and we started having this conversation about what are we going to do after we finish university? And we decided we wanted to travel. And I suggested to Craig, I said, "I know. Why don't we go and teach English in China?" He said, "That's a terrible idea." I said, okay, whatever, we'll keep thinking. Then we're driving down the motorway. I remember very clearly driving down the motorway. And Craig said, I've had this great idea. I said, oh, yeah, what's that? He said, I know what we can do after we finish university. I said, oh, yeah. He said, we can go and teach English 
I don't know, like in China or somewhere. And I said, That was yeah, a great idea. Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> he said, what? Don't you think it's a good idea? I said, yes, I do think it's a good idea. <laughs> Unfortunately, it wasn't his idea. I think it had kind of gone in, percolated, you know, <laughs> and come out again. So we, we never actually ended up teaching in China. It, uh, I think we, we looked at jobs, but we decided to go to Malta instead. And, uh, yeah, so we studied to be teachers, and then we were able to find jobs around the world uh, doing that and then started the podcast as a hobby and did used our free time to do that. And I think that worked really well because we weren't expecting it to make a lot of money. Like Craig said, it was a hobby with a business plan. We wanted it to make money. We planned for it to make money, but we didn't expect it to make money. So, yeah. And we didn't desperately need it to make money. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, if, if you're trying to fund your travels from a non-existent business when you're first starting to travel, um, that's really, really tough, right? Yeah. Like you want to sure. do, yeah, you want to make sure that money is happening before you start traveling or travel, have the fun, like do it carefree, do it in a relaxed way and then go, I want to keep doing this. How can I how can I fund it? How yeah. can I develop something? Or better, before you start traveling, sit down, think about what you could do to make some money while you're traveling, get it started. And when it's making, even if it's just making half the money you need, if you've got your savings, then you can kind of leap into the abyss and, and make it work. Also, we were talking about Craig working full time on our business. We learned how to live off very little. So making a full time wage meant not very much money to begin with for the first five or six years because we didn't need that much. And I was also still working as a teacher, so we were able to make that work. So I would say that learning to live off less is a also a very important part of this. I mean, I hear about what people need to earn to live in the Bay Area, for example, and I think, oh, my goodness, you'd be much better staying there for another year or two, save half your salary, and then you can travel almost indefinitely because – you know, things aren't that expensive everywhere. So that's sure. something I'll think about. Sometimes it's better to stop for a while and save more than, you know, we got our job in Malta. We got paid very little. Mm. If we'd known about how little we, we were going to get paid, it would have been better to work six months in New Zealand. And that would have pretty much paid for our six months in Malta. And we wouldn't yeah. have had to work. I think that was our naivety and part of that when we started traveling as well. Like we're doing the same job for the same company. So we expect to get paid a, a similar amount kind of amount in the, the local economy. Huh. And that was not the case. The amount we got so. paid there was just enough to scrape by. And, you know, Craig had to go back to Scotland for his grandfather's funeral, which was quite sad. They used up some of our savings. But we were in Malta for six months. That was enough for Craig to have that short trip to Scotland. And we had a short trip to um, Greece because of visa reasons. And um, then at the end of it, no money. And uh, we got a job in a summer camp for two weeks. At the end of those two weeks, we had more money than we had after six months in Malta. Oh, wow. So, yeah, you really yeah. have to think about how much you're getting paid if you're getting a job while you're traveling because it might be a lot less than you you would reasonably expect. No, that, that makes sense. And I'm, I'm glad that you've laid it on people in a very straightforward manner because it's not easy, especially starting the business while you're traveling, combating the homesickness, combating just all of the different elements that come with being outside of your element, uh, the element that comes with being outside of your element. Yes, you, got, you know what I mean, a little redundant, but you are completely alone out there. And then when you put 
financial stress onto that. Yeah. That's that's very difficult. And, and I'm curious for people who are maybe a little bit more established, because I also see the traveler who's been traveling for a few years now, and they have a business that is supporting them, working on their computer, but they're just kind of hanging out and they really are feeling less inspired now when they, you know, they've, they've seen a lot of the world and they haven't really gotten their groove. Maybe they're thinking, should I go home? Should I try a new place? And they're just kind of caught in the middle somewhere uh, because the, that initial buzz of, oh, I got this business. Oh, I'm traveling around the world. That wears off eventually. So yeah. what would you tell those people? Yeah, I guess that's something we've seen a lot of our friends deal with over the past years. Because, um, you know, we've been been doing this for a long time now. And uh, we have lasted longer than most. But we're just coming to the point as well where we're like, uh, for family reasons, especially, we want to go and be at home for a while. But also we realize that uh, being... For us, it's always been about being in different places and trying to be a temporary local as much as possible, right? So we like going to the same cafe until the the waiter just knows our order as soon as we sit down, you know? That like happened to us in, in uh, Cyprus uh, last week. We yeah. went to this one kebab shop every day and uh, it was our last day and we sat down and the waiter came over and I said, I'll have a, a pork wrap and he said, and a pork plate for you, right? So <laughs> we were like, yes. And we Oh, we love you too. And uh, uh, we told him that we were that it was our last day, and he went away and he brought us back a present. It was so wow. lovely. It's just yeah. like a, a magnet with um, like an advert advertising magnet. For me. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a really nice one. And so we were yeah. joking about uh, you know calling up and getting deliveries to New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, the uh, that's always been our thing. So it's not been about the the big emotional high of you know, X, Y, and Z. It's been about, let, let's go, let's experience something of what this place has to offer. Let's try and, you know, fit and in and see a bit. That's where teaching or working in the local economy is also quite good yeah. because you can really feel what it's like to be a local there. Uh, and that's something that we don't get when we're working on our computers. Although we try to do it, go and do some co-working so we're, you know, with other people. But yeah, you don't quite get that immersion feeling. Yeah. So I've noticed this this pattern, right, of being with with people less and being less and less um, excited by the newness that we're finding in, in places. And so we've actually decided to spend a year or two back in New Zealand uh, starting in about two weeks. And so, yeah, Great. so it's an interesting question, an interesting time in our lives to be asking that question. And I think the... Uh, your identity is often wrapped up in what you do, right? And so when people look at us, they go, oh, they're the guys that travel all the time and they, you know, they run their business from the road and they, they float around all over the place and that's who they are. But for us, that's, that's a thing we do. That's not our core identity, right? And so we've had to kind of unravel that a bit and go, are we still having fun? Are we still getting you know, the benefits out of it that we want to. Uh, and we've decided that, yes, but. And so we've decided to start a new experiment. And our big experiment after 13 years on the road is, can we stop? Like, yeah. what? what's that like? What's it like to, like, 
unpack all of your stuff and put it places? Are we going to get, how twitchy are we going to get? How long is it going to take before the emotional crash? I think we usually when we go home to New Zealand, we've already got our tickets out again or we buy them within a couple of weeks. So in this case, we're like, okay, we're going back to New Zealand. We don't have any tickets out. And then yesterday, yeah. and we had to make friends with that. Yeah, we had we're to like, make yeah, we're, friends we're with staying. it. Except for that, yesterday I just happened to be on the Air New Zealand website and I saw that they had some cheap flights back to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I maybe just bought some flights. <laughs> so at least we've got one small trip planned for uh, after we arrive. Help us beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. Any, any plans to help you reintegrate back to normal society in New Zealand? I mean take up gardening right there's something you can you probably couldn't have done wherever you were what else what else might you plan to do while you're home i don't know we're, we're still kind of freaking out about it and we keep telling ourselves that it's going to be a great year but uh you know we're, we're telling ourselves that we're, yeah. we're, we're believing it we're, we're putting faith and energy into the fact that you know this is this is going to work and we're going to have fun and we're planning quite a lot of hikes as well in new zealand there are a lot of um really great uh, walking paths, including the Great Walks, which are nine kind of internationally recognized, really amazing walks. We've done one or two, and we'd like to do more of them. And so we, I think we're going to plan to do those periodically uh, throughout the year, which will help a lot. Great, great. Well, uh, yeah, that, that sounds good. I wanted to, before we wrap up, I wanted to try a rapid fire question series <laughs> with Rapid. two people which i've never done so i don't know how this is going to go but it's going to be fun either way uh so i can ask uh, i'll ask you it'll be some type of travel tip and uh i'll i'll popcorn it as we say or throw it to a certain person and so if i i can ask the question i'll ask Craig first, for example, and then Linda, you can you can answer after, and then maybe we'll reverse the order. But uh, are you guys ready? Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I'd love a airplane travel tip from Craig. Ooh. I would say uh, do do what everyone suggests and look at where you're sitting on the plane and try and get a decent seat. And, uh, yeah, travel carry on only. Excellent. How about you, Linda? I would say always carry an empty water bottle and fill it up just before you get on the flight. Ooh, excellent. Excellent. Uh, all right, Linda, I'll throw it back to you for a packing tip. Okay. Uh, I like to pack in packing cubes because it makes it easier to sort out your stuff when you arrive. And also only travel carry on size. Beautiful. How about you, Craig? Uh, I like to do the opposite. So I have a bag with almost no compartments or zips or anything because that makes a bag lighter. And uh, yeah, I, I roll, roll and scrunch and compress. Okay. And I'll throw it uh, back. We'll go to Linda with a tip for transit days. Oh, transit days. Make sure you have snacks. Excellent. The, the worst thing is when you're hungry on a transit day and you can't get any food. That's a really good point. How about you, Craig? Yeah. Um, as I've got older, I've becoming more and more in love with noise-canceling headphones. Mm-hmm. Me too. The ones I'm wearing are not them. This is a <laughs> podcast. Listeners have probably been wondering for weeks why I'm wear one headphone and uh, 
half of my headphones broke. And so I've just <laughs> been going around with one headphone disguising it up here. Okay, I've got, I've got one more. Uh, if you get sick while you're abroad, Craig, I'll go to you. What would you tell him? Oh, um, have a wife to look after you. I mean, that's really the best way. <laughs> I, I like that one. I like that one. And wi- wife, Linda, what would you say? I could say the, the, the equivalent. <laughs> I'd say don't feel bad. Just relax. Like, go with it. If you're sick, you're sick. But you do have to weigh it up. Like, if you've got a once-in-a-lifetime chance to do something, then if you're not that sick, then you should go and do that thing. But yeah, I think listen to your own body, decide if your body can deal with it, and if not, just go to bed. Yeah, and the longer you travel, the more forgiveness you have, right? Yeah, yeah. so we've both had a, a terrible cold in the last few weeks, which is why we had to delay the recording of this. And um, yeah, I've had to make friends with just not doing anything, which is pretty hard. I mean, that's that's true whether you're traveling or not, but I suppose when you're traveling, you're running the risk of missing out on something, right? Sure. No, I I love your take on patience. If you've been traveling for 13 years, you'll become more patient. It's okay if you have to lay down for a few days. But if it's a weekend trip to your dream destination and you lose a day, you know, it's it's like when the airplane's delayed. Well, if you got a long trip ahead of you, you'll be okay. But you feel bad for the people who only had four days. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, We're not usually bothered by delays. Sometimes it's actually better because... One time our flight was delayed and we were going to be arriving at six in the morning and we arrived at eight and we're like, that's so much better. Because <laughs> sure. I mean, we catch the bus straight away. Excellent. Well, I knew you guys would be good because you have podcast episodes on each of those different topics. That's actually where <laughs> I took those from. So uh, yeah, I went through your archives, a lot of good stuff in there. Craig and Linda, I, this has been a, a pleasure to talk to you. Could you tell everybody where people can find you online, reach out, and become part of your community? Sure. Sure. Uh, com or search for Indie Travel, like Indie Rock, not like Indie Car. And uh, you'll be able to find that wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, if you want to find out more about the Camino, IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Camino uh, has that. Yeah, and you can also find us on performancefoundry.com if you are looking for web development or hosting. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you guys for sharing. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Matt. Have a good one, eh? Thank you. Podcast listeners, did you enjoy that episode? If so, there's a couple things that you could do to help me out. First of all, I would love if you wanted to dive deeper into travel so when the world opens up fully, you will be able to have a plan to get yourself out there. This book is not just about travel. It's about designing a life where you can make travel a priority. So you can get that on Amazon, the Millennial Travel Guidebook, Escape More, Spend Less, and Make Travel a Priority in Your Life. I'd also be really thrilled if you searched on the Apple Podcasts app or on Spotify uh, to start the Millennial Travel Podcast. That is something that I need some subscribers and some reviews for in addition to uh, where you're probably listening to this over uh, at my listener base there on the Live Different Podcast. So I would love if you subscribe to the other one and I will be launching exclusive content 
on there soon. So that is really exciting. And um, yeah, just appreciate you guys a whole lot. If you guys have any feedback, feel free to email me, matt at under30experiences.com or send me a direct message on Instagram. I try to get back to those uh, at least a few times a week. Matt Wilson TV.